All right, let's dive in today. It's been weeks now on the road. His wrists are raw and caked with blood from wrestling the ropes that bind them. Sometimes there's rest, if you want to call it that, a time when you're put in the wagon or on a camel's back. But for most of these last weeks, he's walked, been dragged, really, behind the caravan with the rest of the slaves, the hot Mediterranean sun beating down on them tirelessly. For the first, first few days, he struggled, resisted, tried to explain time and time again to them that this wasn't right, that there had to be a mistake, that he was no slave, that he was the beloved son of Jacob, the great herdsman. But now their laughter and the lash of their whip has finally shut his mouth. One thing he couldn't stop, though, one thing he refused to quit was the constant looking over his shoulder, thinking, hoping, anticipating that at any time his brothers would come, that surely dad would send them to explain that this was all just an awful joke or a misunderstanding or a terrible decision. But as the hours turn to days and the days to weeks, his hope that they will ever come is beginning to fade. At every market they come to, at every town where his captors sell their wares, the children run out to see what the traders have brought, and their looks and stares and jeers all come in different languages. But he knows what they're saying. He knows they're sizing him up for sale at the slave market. This one will get a lot, they giggle as they point to his youthful physique. As they enter Egypt it's, Egypt, it's a world he's heard of but never been to, and they begin to move more rapidly. He can see the city in the distance, and as they enter, he's never seen so many people in one place. There's another cold night outside on the ground. And then in the morning, he's thrown into a murky pond in order to wash up. You see, they want him to look good because at 17, he'll bring a good price at the auction this afternoon. The whole day is a blur. He's poked, prodded, inspected by potential bidders. Finally, he's pushed onto the platform in front of the crowd. There are shouts and calls as the price for his life gets higher and higher and higher until finally he's sold. He's dragged off to the side, some money's exchanged, and then he's whisked away down back alleys and city streets by a new group of men. When he finally arrives at the slave barracks, he's ordered an Egyptian to lay down and get some rest. He's tired. It's getting dark. And this is the most comfortable place he's slept in weeks. But as he lies there in the warm evening Egyptian air, only one thought echoes through his mind. They will never find me now. They will never find me now. They will never find me now. If you were here for the first part of this story, Joseph was a young man living with his father and ten older brothers in the land of Canaan. And he was his father's favorite, the teacher's pet of the family, he was given a special gift, an ornamented robe of many colors. And like all of us, Joseph started his life with dreams. We all know about his dreams. All the other sheaves in the field were going to bow down before him. 
The sun and moon and stars were all going to be under his reign. Joseph was going to do great things. He was going to make his father proud. He was going to be a leader. He was the wearer of the robe. But like all of us, Joseph woke up one day to some bad news, some unexpected news. He's sent by his father out to check on his brothers who are watching the herds. And when he gets there, he's attacked. He's thrown into a pit. And then Joseph's own brothers sell him as a slave to a traveling caravan of Ishmaelite traders. He's carried off to a distant land and he's purchased by a family that he does not know. And now, penniless and powerless and friendless and homeless, Joseph is about to learn what every single one of us sooner or later comes to know. That your heart is revealed and your character forged when life does not turn out the way you planned. You see, everybody in this room knows about or will know about that. Bad news, disappointment, the death of a dream. Maybe it's your work, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your kids or your parents or your friends. Maybe it's your financial life or your health. But everybody in this room has or will encounter some area of life where things do not turn out the way that you dreamed they would. And as we continue the story of Joseph today in Genesis chapter 39, I invite you to pull out your Bible and turn there with me. Genesis 39, grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. I want to talk about this very thing. I want to talk about when life doesn't go the way you want, when life crushes your dreams. Genesis chapter 39, Joseph's story continues in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. A lot in there, friends. And the first point I want us to see is a simple and yet profound one. When life does not go the way you want, you may be tempted to quit. See, the reason I I started the message the way that I did is because I think it's all too easy for us to whitewash what Joseph has been through away. Because in the scriptures, the story moves so quickly, I think it's easy for us to believe that... This little incident is just that, a minor blip in Joseph's life, that in just a few weeks, he goes from being favorite son to favorite servant, a little rough patch, but no big deal. That is not the case. Scholars tell us that these first six verses of Genesis 39 are no less than a decade of Joseph's life. 
No less than a decade of tireless work day after day under the hot Egyptian sun. No less than a decade of missing his family back home. No less than a decade of being a slave. But in the midst of that intense hardship, here is what the author wants us to understand about Joseph, who he is and how he responds. He refuses to quit. He does not turn his back on God. Instead, he leans in to God. Friends, when life doesn't turn out the way you want, when your dreams die, you will have to decide, will I quit, will I give up, or will I lean in? Will I choose despair or faith? You see, if I was Joseph, I'd be tempted to give up. To say, this is not what I signed up for. This is not the life that I wanted. I may have to work for this man, this evil Egyptian master, but I don't have to like it. I'll choose a negative attitude. I'll punch the clock, but I'll just go through the motions. But that's not what Joseph does. Now, I do need to say as an important caveat that sometimes quitting Sometimes stopping, sometimes drawing boundaries and moving in a different direction is what God wants you to do. This is especially the case in unhealthy situations like abuse. See, there's a difference between quitting and making the difficult decision to end something that's unhealthy or unjust or not right. You see, sometimes the temptation is to just keep on going, to just keep on doing the thing we've always done. And God is actually calling you to make the hard choice of change. But here's the question. Here's the question to ask, to differentiate, and to figure out the path that you should take. If you really believed that God was with you, how would you respond to the difficult situation in your life right now? Not if you knew that you should think. But if you really believed that God, the God of heaven and earth, the God of the universe was with you, how would you respond to the difficult situation in your life right now? You see, if Joseph would have quit, there's a real good chance that he might have missed his destiny. He might have missed the unique role that God chose him to play in the redemptive history of the entire world. It's a big role. And you might be tempted to say, well, I know, Dave, that's... Joseph, he's a Bible guy. He's in the Bible. Of course, God's going to use him. But of course, the truth is that God has chosen every single one of us to play a unique role in the redemption of this world. God has chosen my life, and he's chosen your life. Your life, your decisions, they matter. They have significance. There's not a single one that's a throwaway. And here's the thing, when... Joseph was working in Potiphar's fields and Potiphar's stable. He wasn't thinking, man, my effort in this, cleaning up this horse dung, this camel poo, is really going to have a huge impact on world redemption, so I should give it my all. No, it seemed meaningless and insignificant and menial to Joseph as well, but it wasn't. Young people, hear this. 
The best preparation for being used by God in the future is to do what you're currently doing, believing that he can and will and is using you now. Old people, hear this. The best preparation for being used by God in the future is to do what you're currently doing, believing that, can he, that he can use you now. Jesus says the same thing. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you really believe that God was with you, how would you respond to the difficult situations in your life right now? When you're frustrated, when you're discouraged, when you're disappointed, when things are hard, do you, are you tempted to quit? Do you give up? Do you walk away? Because here's the truth. Quitting is almost always easier than enduring. It's always easier to stop and have a donut than to run another lap. Can I get an amen, amen. for all you dieters out there in January? This is relevant preaching. <laughs> it's almost always easier to stomp out of a room in anger or to passively pull away and disconnect yourself than to stay and to do the hard work of conflict resolution. You see, when life does not turn out the way you plan, the option of quitting might begin to just look real good. It may just begin to look like sweet relief. Oh, just to quit, to give in, to hang it up. Like, this marriage is difficult. I did not sign up for this. He was not this way when we dated. I want out. Or even if I don't seek a divorce outright, even if other people don't see it, I'll just settle for mediocrity. I'll just sort of quit on the inside. I'll disconnect and stop pursuing the oneness that God longs for me to have in my marriage. Or maybe this has to do for you with being financially disciplined, living on a budget giving to God generously, becoming a generous person in the things of the Lord. Maybe you've tried and maybe it's hard, so you've just quit. Or maybe it's a job or a ministry or a dream you're pursuing and things aren't, things aren't as easy or as fun as you imagine. They aren't falling into place the way you hoped they would and there are roadblocks and setbacks. Maybe there's a friendship, a friendship and it's taking effort. You see, something we think about friendships is they should always be easy. That's what we believe about friendships. That's why we call them friendships. But that's a terrible definition of friendship. And so when they're not easy, what do we do? We sometimes just walk away. Maybe there's someone in your small group that's difficult. An EGR, extra grace required. Do you have anyone in your group like that? Don't raise your hand. If not, maybe you're the person. Maybe you're the EGR. You ever think of that? All that to say, friends, quitting may bring temporary relief, but it rarely leads to long-term growth. Quitters aren't growers, and Joseph knows this. So even though life is not going the way he always dreamed that it would, he refuses to quit, and he chooses to trust that God is with him, and he leans in. And things begin to go well for Joseph. He finds favor in his master's eyes. He gets promotion after promotion after promotion. But it's pretty short-lived. 
Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Imagine that. He had that wavy brown hair, that nice olive skin, those almond eyes. Don't get too worked up, ladies. (laughs) And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. That's pretty blunt. Any of you guys out there ever had? No, there's not a woman like this in the real world, I don't think. Um, But actually, these words, come to bed with me, if you translate the literal Hebrew, it's more like, bed, sex, now. Like, this is a very honest and straightforward lady. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because, by the way, in case we all forgot, you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Welcome to Desperate Housewives 1895 BC edition. (laughs) And I say that as kind of a joke, but, but it's a significant point. There's nothing new under the sun. You see, sometimes I think we believe that in our world, in this world that we live in, with all the things and all the stuff and all the interwebs things, right? It's so much harder for us. We face things that the people in the Bible certainly didn't face. And yet, friends, that is not true. Just because they didn't have Tinder back then doesn't mean that people in the ancient world didn't struggle with all the same stuff that we struggle with. Friends, when life doesn't go the way you want, your temptations may get real tempting. When life doesn't go the way you want, when your dreams are ripped away from you, Sin may look enticing and your temptations may get even more tempting when you feel your dreams and your expectations slipping away, when all of a sudden you look around and you're approaching 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 and your life doesn't look at all the way you thought it would at one point in your early 20s and to make matters worse, all your friends seem to have gotten there. All your friends have found someone and are married. All your friends, at least on Instagram, seem to be living hashtag their best life. All your friends have great jobs and wonderful families and marriages that fulfill every last desire they have ever longed for, at least on Facebook. (laughs) You see, Joseph could have easily thought, what good is obedience doing me? How is this paying off for me at all? I'm far away from home. I was betrayed by my brothers. I'm isolated from my father. I'm a slave. And a slave is most likely all that I will ever be. I mean, I'll never have what I dreamed of having, what I deserve to have, what I'm entitled to have. My own wife and family and property, my own name, my own life. So why not just reach for what little happiness I I can get? Why not just indulge myself this one time? Joseph could have said that. He could have justified it in his own mind, couldn't he? You You know, I've done a lot for Potiphar. 
all my faithfulness and hard work. He's been benefiting from me for years. What about me? Don't I, don't I deserve to be happy? Don't I deserve just this one little thing? Who will it hurt anyway? She's willing. How many of you have said things like that to yourself in your own mind? You see, one of the questions I want to ask here is this. Was Mrs. Potiphar tempting for Joseph? Do you think she was? Do you think he looked at her and thought, man, that's really hard to resist? Like, you know, in secular terms, was was she a hottie? You think so? Well, the text doesn't really say overtly, but, but here's what we know. Potiphar is one of the highest ranking officials in Egypt. And if we know how societies tend to work, especially in the ancient culture, what kind of women do the high-powered guys typically choose? My guess is that she was fairly attractive. That's my guess. And also, the author tells this story in a way that gives us some clues that this temptation was actually a real temptation for Joseph. He wasn't like, oh, she's revolting. i got to get away from here. No. We're told she spoke to Joseph day after day. And the idea here is that this wasn't just a temptation that Joseph had to face one time or in one moment, that, but that this was a constant source of struggle for him, that over and over and over again, he had to fight urges and desires within himself to make the right call. I wonder how many times he laid in bed and just wrestled it through. Man, maybe just wrestled with that urge he had to just, to just give in just once. Just try it. You have any temptations like that? Day after day? Thoughts or feelings or desires that never seem to fully go away. They just plague you and gnaw at you and nag at you and they're always there. Day after day. Yeah, maybe for a season, maybe for a stretch, you seem to have a handle on them, but then all of a sudden they're back and they're so easy to justify. Just one time, just one more time. Well, in this story, Joseph wins the battle with temptation. He wins against this temptation. And we have some clues as to how. First of all, Joseph stays as far away from temptation as he possibly can. Notice verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You see, Joseph doesn't just say no to sex. He says no to flirting. He says no to dinner by the fire when Potiphar is working late. He says no to allowing her attentiveness and flattery to stroke his ego. He says no to all the little games that she wants to play. You see, all too often we play this silly little game with temptation where we see just how close we can get to the line without going over. We have this deal where temptation is there and we think to ourselves, it's not that bad. I can go this far. I mean, I'm an adult. I'm a Christian. I'm mature. It's fine for me. What could go wrong? Nothing bad could happen. Just a little closer. Oh, just another compromise. But it's not, you know, I'm not, I won't go all the way. I'd never get sucked in. Nothing in my... You see, that's how temptation works. That's how sin entangles us. 
And we get closer and closer and closer to that temptation until all of a sudden it just grabs us. By the way, this is what happens when you ask Pastor Ted for a magnet. <laughs> he gives you one where you can like suck cavities out of people from the third row. Fink. <laughs> Got him. And that's a kind of a silly little example. And yet some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, no, 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 that's a picture of my life. That happened to me. I played that game. I walked that road. I got too close, and before I knew it, I was locked in and entangled in a way that I never wanted or anticipated. Some of you are playing that game right now, and you're just about right here. And maybe this morning God wants to bring a wake-up call, and God wants to just say, you need to turn around, you need to walk away. Friends, do you know what your temptations are? And are you wise enough to keep your distance? The next thing Joseph does to win his battle with temptation is he tries not to get isolated. Verse 11, one day he went into the house to, a, a, to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. Notice how the author tells us this detail. As if to say, this is a unique moment. This is something that Joseph did not allow or want to happen in his life. But all of a sudden, in an accidental turn of events, he finds himself alone. You see, what Joseph understands in this story is something that the Bible says over and over and over again, and that's this. When you are alone, you are vulnerable. Friends, it's nothing more than arrogance to underestimate the power of your temptation and to overestimate the power of your own strength to resist by yourself. And sexual temptation, this, the temptation highlighted in this story, is extremely powerful. It makes this magnet look like weak sauce. And the scriptures tell us time and time and time again, do not play games with it. Stop rationalizing it. Don't pretend that you are some sophisticated and smart person and that you can handle it and that other people just wouldn't understand. Those are nothing but lies. There was a woman, a female, a single lady who lived next to a little boy that had a habit of getting into trouble. He was kind of a Dennis the Menace type kid, if you're old enough to remember that reference. Um, and on one occasion, this woman, this next door neighbor lady, volunteered to babysit him. And as the evening went on, the little boy was getting more and more mischievous. And at one point, the woman said, okay, you've crossed the line. I'm now putting you in a timeout. Sit down in this chair for a while. And so she sits him in this chair. And what she didn't notice was that her purse was sitting next to the chair. And when she wasn't looking, the little boy was reaching into her purse and he was pulling stuff out. And at one point, he even located her driver's license. So the next time that she entered the room, he smiled at her and he said, I know all about you. I know how much you weigh. 155. I know how old you are. You're 52 years old. Old. And not only that, I know why you never had kids. And at this last one, the woman was a bit perplexed, and so she asked, how do you know that? And the little boy pointed confidently to the driver's license and said, it says right here, you got an F in sex.
Some of you are like, I don't get it. Ask your friends later. <laughs> friends, Joseph is telling us, the scriptures tell us time and time and time again with a loving, caring posture, do not get an F in sex. Do not let this temptation beat you or grab you or get a hold of you because this one will bring guilt and shame and hurt and separation from God in your life and he does not want that for you. Friends, time and time again, we are warned of that. We are warned that one of the ways that we will be tempted is sexually. And for some reason, for some in this room, that temptation is a real strong one. For some of you today, that's, that's the day after day temptation in your life, a sexual temptation. And the Bible says, do not go it alone because you are not alone. You know, if we could see, if we could only see how many people in this room are struggling in this area, if only there was just full transparency and we could see all the sexual struggles represented in just this room right now, I think there would be so much freedom and healing because sexual temptation and struggle is a real common temptation and struggle. I'm not talking about four or five people in this congregation. Right now in this room, I'm talking about a vast majority of the people sitting in here struggling in some way with sexual temptation or difficulty or brokenness. So do not try to fight this battle by yourself. The power of sexual temptation is when it is kept hidden. If you are struggling with sexual sin, if sexual temptation, sexual brokenness or hurt or pain, here's, here's what the Bible would have to say. Here's, here's my thoughts and advice to you. And I strongly urge you, talk to a mature and trusted friend. Talk to a mature and trusted friend. Come talk to a pastor if you don't have anyone else. All the conversations you have with us are confidential. We've heard it all. You won't tell us anything new. We will still love you. We won't judge you. We understand. Some of us have been through the things that you'll tell us. Or better yet, we have ministries to help you. And we have ministries for these things because lots of people deal with them. Celebrate Recovery. I was just there last week, by the way. It's one of the safest and most supportive communities you'll ever experience. And people there are working through all sorts of issues. I mean, we're talking about messed up people just like you there's all sorts of different hurts and habits and hang-ups and temptations. I'm augmenting your phrase, Judy and Larry. Um, we also have a ministry called 423, specifically targeted to help people struggling with sexual sin and, t and temptation. We have a ministry called Soul Care, where you can meet with someone and talk about anything that you're wrestling with, any temptation at all. Just people who've been trained to just be great listeners and help you process through tough things in your life. And if you're here this morning and you've experienced abuse and neglect or trauma in any way, specifically in the area of sexuality, um, in any way, really, we have a ministry called Mending the Soul. I have to tell you, it's terrific. It's wonderful. It's so powerful. And it can help you get your life back on a path of healing. There are people there who will understand you and relate to your story and have so much compassion and mercy and love for you. By the way, you can find out about all these ministries online. There are also cards, little cards in the men's and women's restrooms right there on the wall. Some of you have seen them. 
You can just go in and grab one. I know you won't do it right after church when there's a lot of people in there, but you can come back later and pick one up. I wish we were a place where you could just go take one. I really hope that we will be someday. Heaven will be like that, I think. I guess we won't have these kind of struggles in heaven, but if we did, you'd just be able to take a card with no shame or guilt, right? Because lots of us are dealing with this stuff. Finally, verse 12 says, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the room. Friends, Joseph wins his battle with temptation because he's willing to leave some things behind. You'll notice that this is the second coat that Joseph has now lost in this story. Does that remind you of any of our children, hon? Like, I'm just trying to be like Joseph, dad. Losing my coat all the time. But Joseph loses yet another coat. Why? Because he decides it's better to lose his coat than his integrity. I'll cut right to the chase on this one. Is there anything in your life that you need to leave behind? And chances are, it'll be a sacrifice. It'll hurt. It'll be hard to leave. Maybe it's alone time on the internet. I know. You're 27 years old. You're 37. You're 57 years old. But guess what? I don't care how old you are. Maybe someone else needs to have the password. Maybe it's an alcohol issue and alcohol should no longer be in your home. You just need to leave that behind. Walk away from that. Just not a good idea. Maybe it's a, a certain friend or a friend group that when you're with them, bad stuff just seems to happen. You just seem to go down roads and into places and do things that, that you wouldn't do on your own. Maybe when you get together with a certain group of friends or with a certain friend, gossip just starts to flow and you find yourself saying things that you normally wouldn't say that you know you don't want to say. Or maybe you're just listening to things that you know you shouldn't be listening to. And maybe God is saying, it might be time to just leave that friend or friend group behind. Sometimes you gotta leave some things behind. Maybe it's social media. Maybe social media is just not good for you. And I know everyone's doing it, but maybe comparing your real life to everyone else's highlight reel is taking your mind and heart in directions God does not want it to go. I'll tell you what, friends, this is one of the reasons I don't do a lot of social media. Some of you will notice this about me. Not really on social media. I have a couple accounts, but I'm never on there. Some of you know this because you've tried to contact me and I haven't responded to you. It's not because I don't like you. It's just because I'm never on there. And the reason I'm never on there is because here's what I found out about myself. It's hard for me to look at everybody else's highlights and not feel jealous and discontent about my life in some way. It's not good for my heart. So I just don't go on that much. Maybe certain restaurants and parties, they're just no longer your jam. Maybe this job you have, it would be hard. It would be a sacrifice, but it needs to change because business trips, let's be honest, they don't work for you. Maybe your phone should not be smart. Maybe the thing you need to leave behind is a smartphone and you just go to one of those little flip jobs. Try and make it cool again. Is it worth your integrity? What do you need to leave behind in order to win your battle with temptation, whatever your battle is? Friends, 
I want to say this real plainly to some of you who are knocking on the door of temptation, who are messing around with this magnet, or maybe you've already even overstepped the line and you're here this morning and you find yourself entangled. It's not too late. There is help and there is hope for you, but you cannot make it on your own. You cannot keep trying the same things that you've been trying for days or weeks or months or years or decades and expect things to change. You need help. You need community. You need to let people in. You need to make some changes. Friends, when life does not go the way you want, your temptations may get real tempting. Finally, when life does not go the way you want, you must learn to find strength and peace in God's presence. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been who has been brought to us to make sport of us. This he- I blew that. This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you bought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Let's go back for a sec. Scene one of Joseph's life, if you remember, ended with him being attacked by his brothers, thrown into a pit, and sold into slavery. Now scene two of Joseph's life ends... With him in prison, it actually ends with the word confined. Joseph has gone from being more and more free to having more and more privileges to now being in prison and confined. But here's the difference between scene one and scene two. In scene one, Joseph is kind of a spoiled little brat who flaunts his gift from his father in front of his brothers, and then he insensitively and arrogantly shares about his dreams with them. So, yeah, their response is a bit harsh. It's a tad you know, of an overreaction to throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery and pretend he's dead, okay. But on some level, Joseph got what he had coming to him, right? He incited them in some way. But in scene two, things are different. We read that Joseph has now been nothing but righteous, over a decade of slavery and temptation, and he continues to just consistently, faithfully walk with God. And so what's the deal with this ending? What's the deal with God allowing Joseph to land in prison after Joseph has, act, has, has acted so, so righteously? What's the deal with God not seeing who Joseph is and what he's doing and rewarding him appropriately? You ever feel that way? God, how could you let this happen to me? I mean, I'm a good person. Maybe not perfect, but better than most people. Better than Potiphar. Better than some people who aren't going through what I'm going through. But check this out. I think in Joseph's life, what we get, really, is a glimpse of the difference between religion and the gospel. And this is a real important difference. You see, religion says... God, I will do these things for you. I'll behave in this way. I'll follow your rules. I'll resist temptation. I'll act righteously so that you'll do good stuff for me, so that you'll love me and accept me and you'll bless my life and protect me from suffering. 
I'll scratch your back, God. You scratch mine. I'll do this stuff. You reward me. Deal, deal. You see, if Joseph had been doing religion, he'd be ticked right now. Okay, God, first the pit, now prison. This deal ain't working. You are not holding up your side of the bargain. You see, friends, that's religion. But in this story, Joseph isn't doing religion. He's doing relationship. He's doing faith. He's foreshadowing the gospel, the good news of God for us. Five times in this chapter, 23 verses in this chapter total. We'll get to the last few next week. Five times in this chapter of 23 verses, we're told that Joseph is focused on God being with him. Now, I'll say this about Joseph. He desires, he's just like you and me, right? He desires good good circumstances in his life as much as the rest of us do. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't like hopping and skipping and smiling into prison. What a great day! I went from like top of my master's house to prison. Never been so happy about being confined. I'm sure he didn't say, thank you, God. Thank you so much for sending Mrs. P into my life to tempt me and falsely accuse me and use her power to lock me up. I'm sure there were times when he cried and lamented and mourned and questioned God about what happened with his brothers so many years ago. See, it's not that Joseph was unaffected by his circumstances. But what we see in Joseph is that God's presence in his life, God's love in his life, the knowledge that God was with him, it wasn't a means to an end for Joseph. It was the end. It wasn't one step towards the goal. It was the goal. One author I read this week said it this way. Joseph longed for the presence of God more than the presence of God. And if you're not reading, then that doesn't make any sense. But Joseph longed for the presence of God with a C-E more than the presence of God with an E-N-T-S. You see, what Joseph desires most isn't the presence of God to fix his circumstances. What Joseph desires most is to have the presence of God in all his circumstances. And that's the gospel, friends. The gospel says this. God loves you, and because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross and his victory over the grave, you now have, for free, through no merit of your own, been given the gift of God's presence to get you through whatever circumstance or struggle or sin or temptation this world will bring your way, to get you through the deepest and darkest of times, to even get you through death. You have been given for free through no merit of your own the presence of God to get you through anything this world will throw at you, even the grave. That's the good news. You don't have to be scared of any of it. You can have joy and peace and calm and faithfulness and security through any and all of it. Why? Because the presence of God will be with you no matter where you go. So this morning, we again will come to the table to declare... That truth that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have been once again given the presence of God. God, just remind me through this meal, through your sacrifice, through your death and resurrection, that your presence is with me, that you walk with me, that it's free, that I don't lose it when I mess up, that when sin takes a hold of me, I don't forfeit it, but it's just given to me for free and I can take it with me into whatever situation I face. The question is, friends, this. What temptation or struggle or difficulty or sin, do you need to invite the presence of God into 
today in your life? Because just like Joseph, friends, for you and me, life is full of ups and downs and some of them are big and some of them are small, but God says, I will walk with you through them all. Through them all. Through the ones that are seasonal, through the ones that will change, through the ones like Joseph's that don't feel like they will ever change and maybe won't this side of heaven. God says, but the promise still stands. The gift is still here. You can make it. You can have joy and peace and life amidst it. Why? Because my presence is offered to you for free. So this morning, take just a minute. Back one slide for me. Maybe there's an area you're tempted to quit right now and God's saying, no, it's not time to quit. It's time to lean back in. It's time to remember that I am with you. It's time to let me energize you. And it's time to be the person that I long for you to be in this relationship or job or circumstance. Maybe this morning there's a temptation in your life and you're getting real close to it or it's already entangled you and you just need to bring that. You need to invite God straight into that temptation, straight into that addiction, straight into that sin, straight into that flirtatious affair that's right on the edge. And say, God, I need you to do a work in my heart and change me and help me get out of this and help me start to live righteously and walk the way Joseph did. Maybe this morning you need to learn to find strength and peace in God's presence and you just need to say, God, I need your presence in every part of my life. If you're ready to make that declaration, get specific in your mind. Think about specific people and relationships and places and then come to this table and receive the death and resurrection of Jesus for your soul. The bread and the cup, the reminder that your God loves you so much that he sent his son. When you're ready, you can come, receive the elements and we'll take them on our own. We'll close with some worship. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for this man. I love his righteousness and I love his faithfulness, but I also love that the message here is that you're, you're righteous and faithful even when we're not. And that even when life looks crummy and unjust and unfair, you're there to get us through. So remind us of that. God, I pray for people in this room right now who are on the edge of quitting something that maybe you don't want them to, that you'd speak directly to their minds and hearts today, that you remind them of your power to give them endurance and perseverance. I pray, Lord, for people who are in the middle of temptation, that they'd have the courage to grab one of these cards or find a phone number on the internet and make a call. They might find real help and healing and hope. Help us be the kind of church, Lord, where temptations can be overcome because they can be brought out into the light. That's who we long to be, and I know that's who you want us to be. All these things, God, and all the things that we don't even know to pray today, we pray in the wonderful and blessed name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember last week when I got up at the end and preached like a whole second sermon? Well, my wife's not allowed to do that anymore. So I'm not going to do that today, but I do want to tell you a couple things. First, um, we have prayer in, in the front today because we have I'm new here in the back. If you're new around here and you're looking to kind of share your story, hear a little bit of our story, it's just a quick gathering in the connect room right in the back. If you need prayer today, one of the ways we sort of step into community and with our struggles and sins and whatever they are is through letting people pray for us. So take advantage of that. I, we only gather once a week and there are people here who have that gift and that passion and that calling that want to pray for you. So don't let pride or 
trying to get out of here too fast or something get in the way of just being blessed by praying with someone and letting them pray for you. And then lastly, I'll say that we have um, the gathering for our single moms group called Belong right after service today. So if you're here and you're new around here and you're a single mom, that, that group's a, just a real gift. So um, they're meeting somewhere in the church. Ask somebody who knows. I don't know, but um, it would be great. But here on this, as you go, um, let me remind you that you go not as so that people of religion. You don't go to do things for God and make good choices and be moral so that God will love you and bless you. You go because God has loved you so, so much with an infinite love that you can't even imagine. And so filled with that love, freely poured out on you, now you go to live in response to that in this world such that people will see it and experience it in you, the church in the world, amen? God bless you, friends. We'll see you next week, and we'll continue on with Joseph. Have a great Sunday.